0: Hey founders, welcome to another episode of The Gab Lab. Great to have you here.
1: This is a show that's
0: designed to bring you financial intelligence to not only blow your mind, but to help you build your bottom line. I'm your show host, Tanya Woods Richardson, and today's episode championed by our very good friends at Community Futures Manitoba, with over 16 offices across the province to help you build your business and nail your numbers. Hey, today's episode, it's all about perfecting the pitch. We're joined by Nail the Number Pro, Ross Finley. I've got to go to my notes on this one. Get ready. He's an angel investor, but he is also the former founder uh, and co-founder and director of the First Angel Network, a former founder of Aurora Angel Network and current vice chair of the U.S. Angel Capital Association and Angel Resource Institute, part of the Kauffman Foundation. It's a mouthful. So, join us in the lab. He's going to walk us through understanding the lending landscape and then how to make the pitch and perfecting that pitch along with the play deck. It's going to be a great episode. We'll see you in the lab. Okay, founders, here we are. We are uh, here with Nail the Number Pro, Ross Finley. Ross, actually, uh, we've done some amazing work together. Well, you've done all the work, but through Nail the Number boot camps going back to, I think, 2015. And uh, really excited to have you on the show today. We're talking all about the pitch and how to perfect it. And Ross, you're an angel investor at heart. This has been your sweet spot. Um, and I just want to I just want to frame this conversation. I'm actually very excited to be speaking with you because I think there's a lot of founders through COVID um, that are either A, they have decided to start their own business as a result of, you know, being laid off or whatever the the economic uncertainty and and COVID actually brought about for them. But there's also a number of founders that um, if they had the retained earnings set aside, AKA profit over the years, and were able to put that aside, they've been able to weather the storm. And I suspect that now on the other side, they may have readjusted they're offering and are now charting a new direction. So what I love about what you're going to speak to today is that kind of, regardless of where these business owners may find themselves, they have to pitch to lenders now. And I I know the value that you bring to this You're, you do your due diligence, you know, when you're looking at these proposals, it's not just about getting the warm and fuzzies, you're digging in, and you're making sure that, you know, the integrity of the founder, the integrity of the business. So all of that is to say, you know, and uh, when I was doing a, uh, when I was doing a fitness competition about, you know, six decades ago, the coach said to me, never prepare for the level of the competition. Always prepare for beyond. And this is what I know you're going to bring to our conversation today. If people, if founders can nail the pitch, according to to Ross Finley, I know they'll be able to nail the pitch in other audiences too. So again, thank you for being here and let's dig in. Let's dig in. Sure. So why don't we start with... so I'm going to say the lending landscape. I know you want to speak about the investing landscape, but let's just imagine that founders are sitting there with either a new business plan or revised business plan or trying to figure out where to go now for funding. What does that landscape look like for them? What are their options?
1: Well, there's a, there's a excuse me number of options um, one is to uh, the, decide what kind of money you want there's there's basically there's there's money that's invested or there's a loan that's given to the company that the company is has to pay back once uh, once you accept a loan it's harder to get investment because um, a loan has to be paid back and the investor doesn't want their money to be used to pay back the loan so, um it's and it and it does look uh changes your um uh, balance sheet and makes it a little less attractive to investors later on uh, but if uh, if all you need is a loan again it depends on as you said your people are making adjustments to their business models all the time especially uh, during the current conditions so if you're making adjustments to your business model you have to figure out um, how, how big an adjustment is it and has it changed your marketplace at all. And so you may be required to look for more than a loan uh, or a loan based on what you have. Uh, so there's loans and then there's investments. Investments can actually come in the form of a loan which is often called a convertible debenture so you can um i could give a company some money based with a convertible note that says in two years uh, i can call the note or i can convert it to um, a shareholder position in the company so that's that's another kind of loan but it's more um Kind of for, favors the uh, the investor a little more. And the third is just pure investment.
0: Can I can I just um, can we go back and I just want to capture that because I think that's such an important piece. We haven't discussed convertible debentures on our episodes before, so just so that I've got this straight, a convertible debenture is when you are speaking to a equity lender or a, a, an angel. Yeah banks aren't going to be doing convertible ventures, I would imagine, right? This is going to be an equity position. So you're speaking to an angel or high net worth individual that is looking to invest capital into the business. And so this is where the capital comes in as a loan with interest and payments are due back on that loan or are payments due at the end of the term. And at that point, it's at the option of the lender to decide if that money is going to get converted into equity, aka shares in the business, or if they're going to take that cash out of the business with a with an interest or lift on the end. Did I get that right?
1: You're absolutely right.
0: Beautiful, okay, that, that, that was that's great. We haven't talked about those before. So thank you for clarifying those, lots of value there.
1: Now, the, the risk of the convertible, the venture to the investor is that you will not have uh, grown your business enough in the year or two, whatever the term is of the convertible note. Um, you haven't grown it enough to pay it back. So the, you know, if if the investor called the note, they'd own the company. If the, if the investor converted the note, then um, the valuation would kick in, and you you may end up, you know, you know, losing your company in a different way. I mean, so ch- chances are in, in my experience, Convertible notes are usually extended if the company is doing well, and but just hasn't hit their their targets and is moving forward, um, but not at the rate we want. Uh, so you'll either convert it, convert at that point or extend the note.
0: Okay. All right. No, so, I I yeah. But
1: each time it's, each time it's gathering interest. And usually the interest is somewhere around eight percent, and it's you know. Wow. It accrues. Yeah. That seems steep. That seems steep,
0: but <laughs> this is the price of money, I guess. That right? Uh, and as you're as you're you're sharing this information, my mind goes right away to, again, the importance of sound um, financial forecasts. Right. Don't just prepare a forecast and you know pull numbers out of the sky to pull together something that you think an investor is going to get excited about, because if you can't deliver on those numbers and you can't deliver on those forecasts, now you're just to your point. Now you're you're in a really uh, yucky (laughs) yucky is not the right word. You're in a just you're you're at a disadvantage.
1: (laughs) Deep deep hole.
0: Hole. Deep <laughs> hole. I'm sure there's some some other adjectives that can describe that. All right. So uh, so we've talked about convertible debentures. If I just take a step back and the founder, they're looking at their plan. Um, I know that in past presentations, you've talked to about uh, potential to access love money. So friends and family money, and that could be either debt or equity. But I know you've hammered home this point before. Know what you're getting into. Don't just grab the money from Uncle Joe and, you know, go thank you very much. Like, understand the terms that Uncle Joe has in place because that could cost you at the end too. Right? So we've got that love money. Uh, I, I know you've also brought up credit cards. And a lot of founders, when they're looking to get started, want to avoid having to speak to a lender and want to avoid having to do all the cash flow forecasts and the due diligence. So they, they, they turn to their credit cards at 19 to 24, 25% interest. So not a smart move there. Um, let me ask you because what's you,
1: that? What's I've, that? Had entrepreneurs, I've had entrepreneurs come to me and say they're looking for $50,000. And why? Because they have $50,000 in credit card debt. Yeah. yeah. So, so the, my 50000 if I was going to put that money in the company, is to help the company grow. Paying off a debt doesn't help the company grow.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's what we're looking for. That,
0: that makes that's why, that's sense. Why I
1: don't, that's why I don't like uh, seeing a lot of debt on a balance sheet when they finally get to the point they want to um, get investment money okay. and take on shareholders and part- business partners. So when, when I see debt on a balance sheet, when, and convertible debt is still debt. Uh, convertible venture is debt on the balance sheet. So if someone else has come in before an angel group or an angel investor and they see this, Uh, They won't invest unless that previous investor converts that debt to shares, because if they, you know, they're they're at risk of putting their money in and the founder just using it to pay off the convertible loan.
0: Okay. So let me just clarify this. In case, again,
1: the company doesn't grow
0: so what if, uh, because our our um, our episode champs are community futures, community future offices, they're across Canada, and they're a developmental lender, right? Much mm-hmm. like uh, women entrepreneur groups and, and futurepreneur, and we've, we've got some phenomenal developmental lenders across the country. So if you see, and that's always okay. a form of debt, so if you've got an entrepreneur that's come to you that in the early stages, they were able to access that developmental funding, and that's still on the balance sheet, are you then suggesting that they either need to get that repaid before you lend, or can they, is, is there another workaround that a, an equity investor would be open to seeing if they have that loan on their balance sheet?
1: What I would uh, want is in writing that the lender is not gonna call that loan okay. once the new money goes in. The lender is there for the long term as well. Perfect. Okay.
0: Well, that makes sense to me because I think it's hard for a lot of founders to get their business off the ground. You know, that stage between startup and having some traction, they need that cash to be able to kind of validate their idea, right? And then come the equity investors. Once the idea is validated and now they're looking to grow and scale, then usually those equity investors, angels are saying, okay, let's let's do this, right? We'll, we'll give you the, we'll not only give you the cash, but we'll give you the mentorship and the networks and connections and expertise along with all of that. Did I get that right?
1: Yeah, but ultimately it's whoever is going to make the investment that's going to validate the company. You know, okay. validation, there's validation happens at different stages of the company. For company growth and okay. company development Okay. so you may get to a certain point and it's been valid up to there but something happened either regulatory or economically or you know technically in the world that makes you not valid, valid. anymore blockbuster so, exactly so you turn you, you have to uh, every time the new money is coming into your company whether it's debt or equity or whatever the company will be validated and valuated. okay which i you know
0: personally i think that uh, you know i i suspect a lot of founders will there'll be some fear and trepidation in that process but when you come out on the other side what a tremendous learning experience right mm-hmm. For a founder right. to have those numbers and concepts and ideas um, kind of put through the test is really what, what, uh, what the equity investors are doing with, uh, with the business model. All right. Um, so I just, for everybody watching, I know you're joining us via satellite. So as people are watching this video and if, you know, if you're seeing Ross cut in and out, that's all that's happening. But I will tell you, Ross, that the sound is great. The sound is working. So uh, we're in good shape there. All right. Anything else? Our, our first point of this episode was really about the lending landscape. We've talked about who those lenders are along the way. We didn't get into venture capital, but venture capital is really like, w- w- what amount is the raise there and at what stage? This is when you start to, to move into um, international growth, right? And are scaling at an unprecedented, unprecedented rate.
1: Yeah. Venture capital usually doesn't kick in until you've got customers and you're you're selling and you've got a a plan to scale the business the uh, there's different types of venture capital there's uh, basically what they call small cap so these are the smaller funds uh, maybe uh, from 10 to 50 million dollars in their fund and so they're looking to bridge gaps for the company and then there's the uh, the large cap funds, which are you know hundreds of millions of dollars, that you know they want to buy the company. Okay. Well, if a if a, a large high cap or a large cap fund comes into your company, they're going to come into it for no less than fifty percent. So. Right,
0: um, and so I'm curious, Ross, in your experience, because you've been doing this for a while now, when we talk about. Uh, Canada's small business landscape and the founders that are out there, how many of them, like roughly, and I'm not looking for numbers, but I'm looking kind of for percentages, how many of them actually scale to that level that they're looking for VC? So like, you know, like, I guess they're called the unicorns, right? Like how many actually just blow it out of the park?
1: I think you've got a better chance of getting hit by lightning than get large cap. <laughs>
0: I think it's a really important conversation to have because I know that, um, looking at all the success stories out there, whether you're looking on social media or LinkedIn and you see, and you hear all these founders that are, you know, um, doing incredible things. It can feel a little discouraging, I think, for a lot of founders that read those stories that are like, well, where am I in this mix? And I'm not there. And I, you know, and so, um, Yeah, I, I, well, I'm thinking 99, you're probably like 99.9% of our business community are these, you know, smaller businesses that don't necessarily need to scale at that level, but where there's sustainability and there's health in their overall financial model. And then accepting that for what it is and being proud of, of what it is that you've built and knowing that there's lending at every stage. So I just wanted to put that out there. I don't know if you've got any comments
1: yeah. on that piece. I, w- I would just say that there's no, um, there's nothing wrong with investing in a company or, or lending to a company that has got rock steady growth, is, you know is uh, making a mark in its market, and is achieving what it sets out to achieve. But if you've set out to be the next Facebook, and, you know, you've got $200,000 in the bank, and and, and six of your best friends are your co workers, you've got a lot more, you got you got a lot of distance to go before you get to any of that point. And from an investment point of view, I'm uh, vice chair of the Angel Resource Institute in the US. And so we do a lot of research and um, education in angel investing. And we learned back in 2016 we did a return study so to the investors and 50 percent of the companies that were invested in by angels went down the toilet back in 2016. in 2019 we did it again and it was up to 70 percent of the angel invested companies go down the tube. So that means that we have 30% of the companies that we invest in to return to the angel, um, you know, a return on your investment. So that tells the angel investor, they really have to, you know, take a portfolio approach to their investment. Invest in a lot of different things in a lot of different sectors with a, you know, a variety of entrepreneurs to increase your ability to get a return. Um, so, and the, the, way pe- the way companies get returns is through what we call an exit. And the exits, there's, there's really only four of them. One is uh, you go, you IPO, you become public. Your odds of that are virtually nil. Less than 1% of the companies that get investments are, actually go on to become public companies. 94% of them are through um, you know, mergers or acquisitions. And then the remainder have a nice return, dividend return kind of thing to their investors, where every year they share some of the profits back out. So that's of the 30%. The other 70% on. flush. Yeah,
0: okay.
1: And but- there's, there's only four reasons that your company um, will exit. You know, and there's only four reasons that your company will be acquired by anybody. Number one, they want your cash flow. Or number two, they want your technology. Or number three, they want your talent. Or number four, they want your brand. That's it. So when you are thinking about taking in money that is basically taking on business partners through investment or through a convertible debt that could become an investment. You have to understand how you're going to pay that investment back out.
0: Right. I think that's that's an important piece to remind founders because I think when they, I suspect when they look at equity capital, they get excited because there isn't this idea that principal needs to be repaid Early on, right? So they get that cash to then kind of grow the business, but they forget on the other side of that, they still have to get that equity investor out, typically at, you know, ideally at a lot more than they came in at, and they forget that part of the equation. So uh, thinking through that. So, Ross, thank you for this. Thank you for this segment. I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned there that I think is really powerful for anybody that is looking to um, secure equity investment right now, what really landed with me is your perspective on a balanced portfolio. And I'm taking that and applying it to my personal investments where I'm thinking low risk, medium risk, high risk. And if one of these founders has a low risk business, they're not a super sexy business. They're not looking to be the Facebook but what a powerful message to go in to an equity investor with, listen, we're, you know, we're not going to scale 35 fold, but we are going to strengthen your portfolio because we're going to be one of those low risks options that are giving you this consistent dividend that's going to be here for the long course. So we'll help, we'll help to, to anchor that portfolio for you. So just knowing how to speak to the investor around what's in it for them and kind of shifting, uh, shifting that story a little bit. Thank you for that. That's powerful. All right, everybody. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ross.
1: I just said you're welcome. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> All right. So that takes us to the end of part one of better understanding how to perfect the pitch. We've talked about the lending landscape. Just want to, uh, again, thank Ross for being here and thank you to our episode champion, Community Futures of Manitoba, They have over 16 offices across the province to support you in your fundraising initiatives. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you in here for part two, where we're actually gonna talk about the pitch deck and the slides that go into the pitch deck and what you really wanna cover in those slides. So we'll see you back in here for part two. Thanks founders for watching. All right, founders, welcome back to part two. Today, we're talking all about uh, perfecting the pitch. And uh, this might be the segment that you've actually tuned in for, um, tuned into this episode for. This is really about the pitch deck and uh, the different slides that you're going to want to have in the pitch deck. Uh, Ross Finley is joining us he is uh, he's an angel investor he's also as you heard in part one I'm looking for my notes here um, former vice chair with the the angel network in the states is that right Ross or current, uh, current chair? so
1: um, director of the... I'm vice chair of the Angel Resource Institute.
0: Angel Resource Institute. Okay. And then former founder and director with First Angel Network Association and Aurora uh, Angel Network. So um, definitely this is your wheelhouse. You get this. So can you walk us through uh, the 75 pages that we need to have in our pitch deck?
1: (laughs) There's way more than that. Okay, that's a joke, everybody, please don't do that. No. Um, All right, go for it. I wanna just talk briefly about about what you have to prepare before you prepare your pitch. Before you create a pitch, you have a number of things you have to do. Number one, you have to know what your value proposition is. I don't know if you guys have talked about that yet in your program.
0: No, please share that. What is a value proposition?
1: A value proposition is what does it's a lot of people confuse it with uh, what do you what your company do? What's what what do you do that's different? But it's not quite that to me, a value proposition is what do you do for your customer. So um, quite often they think the value proposition is this is why my technology is better than their technology. It's not. It's got to be this is why people will buy my technology and who will buy it and why. (coughs) I'm sorry. Um, So the the value proposition, uh, think about whenever you introduce your company, you should be thinking about how, um, not what you do, but what you do for your your, company. Your customer. Yeah. So if I say I'm a consultant, I'll put you to sleep. If I say I help make companies profitable, maybe I've got your attention. That's a value proposition. Got it. All right. Uh, Second, and this is right up your alley, you got to know your numbers. You have to know them cold. You have to know what are the assumptions behind all of them. Uh, third, you have to figure out how your company is going to act like it has shareholders. Does it be, Have you put structures in place that are going to support your ability to have shareholders? Next thing, you want to be able to say to an investor or, or a lender or everything, why your team is the best team going. Okay. and why, why it's better than the other people. You have to recognize what your limitations are and what your company's limitations are, specifically where it sits in the marketplace, where does it sit in the distribution channel, all of these kinds of things. Because after you do your pitch, if you haven't addressed these things, you're gonna be cornered on them by whoever is looking at your business. Um, you need to identify what kind of money and what kind of investor do you want? Um, I, had a, I knew a guy who was starting up a restaurant. He wanted. We have a tax credit here, an equity tax credit. So he was looking for an investor that could put money in and get get your tax credit and then they could all get tax credits so he he brought in his with no disrespect he brought in an accountant in as an investor he finally closed the business down after but six months because the accountant was driving him nuts on a daily basis and he'd wished he'd never ever Taken in this guy's money because he was, was just what did spend that much on lettuce for you know all this. anyway um so it because when you are taking in money from either a lender or an investor um it's like a marriage yeah you know divorce is not an option <laughs> so yeah in this case anyway
0: Okay. So let so me understand. just okay. yeah, sorry. Go we'll ahead. S- no, go ahead. So understand
1: what kind of investor and money you want and yeah. need at this particular time.
0: So let me just see if I heard those correctly. Sorry. Is there one, one more? Last okay. Go for
1: it. Yep. Have a capital plan. Have a plan for how you were going to get the amount of money you need as you grow Wow, okay so that we will we can see that you've thought this through.
0: Okay. So let me actually start there. I'll start with the end because I think that's an important piece. This is what we call the, the 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 cap schedule. Is that what it's also known as?
1: A cap table. Cap table tells you who's invested now, at what price, and when they came into the company. So that's a cap table.
0: Okay. So why I think that is so important this so well I'll go back through the list but starting at the bottom so when you talk about your capital plan what I actually really appreciate most about that is it forces the founder to start with the end in mind which I think a lot of founders don't do right they just love what they do and they want to bake pies and bake pies forever at least they think they want to bake pies forever and they don't think about what they're actually building Like, what are you building? And that piece to your capital plan forces the the entrepreneur to think about what is it that you're building and what are the milestones that will be achieved towards that build and how much capital is required at each one of those phases. So that's brilliant. I'm going to jump a little bit here because I want to come back to um, your, you talked about understanding your share structure. And so just to clarify that for founders, this is about understanding when you are incorporating the business, you have to put together a share structure that's going to talk about how many shares you have and what classes of shares, right? So it, it ties in with that overall build or end game because you're trying to figure out what that structure is going to look like and how you need to start divvying out shares as you start to, to grow and build. Did I get that right, Ross?
1: Yeah. uh, My advice in in that case is simply that keep it simple. Okay. You're not, you're not like General Motors, (laughs) you know, you don't need uh, 16 classes of preferred shares, you know, you just need common shares. Maybe you want to authorize preferred shares. Okay. All Uh, right. And there's two things you need to be concerned about as you're putting together, as you're starting your business. And one is, how many shares are you going to authorize versus how many shares you're going to issue. So authorize means the company is authorized to issue um, up to you know, 50 million shares or hundred million shares. And if you don't authorize enough, and then you issue that's called, that becomes your share treasury in the company. So you pull, you give shares out of that treasury To yourself, to the investors, to your employees, to whomever, and um, so you want to. There's there's a number of issued shares, and if you don't authorize enough shares, it makes it more difficult to um, to actually uh, issue shares. For example, if we had a company come to us that had only authorized 100 shares. Well, you know, they'd already given out 30 of them to them and their best friends and their mother and dad. So that left 70 shares. How do you create a share price out of, you know, for a $200,000 investment out of 70 shares? You're giving away percentages of shares, which is not enough. So it would cost you probably three, four grand to go back in and fix that problem. With a, a lawyer, so that gets to a, a good point, which is, don't use your uh, real estate lawyer uncle Vinny to do your do your company incorporation because they don't know how to do it. It's worth getting the letterhead to do it right the first time.
0: Okay. No, really great advice. And it, it reminds me of um, advice that was shared on another episode too, where it's, a, you know, in these early stages, when you're trying to put together the share structure and, and understanding what the end game is for the business, make sure you have a team around you. So the accountant and the lawyer and the financial plan, right? Like all of these people should be working in tandem to make sure that the structure and the numbers everything's coming together and it's it's uh it's a collaborative approach to to, to pulling all of yeah. this together
1: so, so again in your pitch deck in your pitch deck you're going to have a slide that says here's my team and here's my advisors love it that's where they come in Love it.
0: Okay, super smart. Before we move to the pitch deck, I just want to come back and clarify, as you mentioned here, the preparation that you need to do. We have a capital plan. That capital plan, I imagine, ties in with understanding the the share structure Um, and then to your point, understanding your team and the strength of your team so that the team can execute on the plan understanding uh, the money that you need and what type of investor actually gets attached to that money, uh, your numbers inside and out. This is why we do nail the numbers, uh, your value proposition. And then the last piece you spoke to here is limitations. And I'm wondering, is the limitations much like a, uh, a SWOT analysis or is it something different? That's what came to mind when you said limitations.
1: Um, it's, it's really knowing yourself. Okay. As the entrepreneur okay. so there's there's a lot of you know at, at an early stage of investment or loan you are lending to a person not necessarily a company you're 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 uh, betting on the jockey not on the horse okay <laughs> so so I need to know that you're up front and you understand what your problems are. And then that helps me understand how I can help.
0: Perfect. I love
1: uh, that. So, yeah.
0: I love that. I think I think that's important. I think a lot of, um, I think it's very important. I think a lot of founders... When they're, they always try to present their best side, right, and their best numbers. So they they make up some financials to make it look good. You know, they put together a whole bunch of, you know, supposed magic in a business plan and uh, their best suit. And what investors really want to see is the what's behind the curtain right? Like, show me the, the truth of what you have. To your point, this is a marriage and divorce isn't an option. So you might as well just put it all on the table front and center. And, you know, let everybody right. see exactly what this what this relationship is going to look like. All right, Ross. So here's what I'm thinking. Um, this, this was very powerful. Thank you. I think let actually let's move our pitch deck. Let's put that into part three. We give everybody a little bit of a coffee break here okay. for part two. Um, just want to thank our episode champion sure. again, Community Futures Manitoba. And then we will come back in here for our final segment, which will be the pitch deck. I love how you did this, Ross. you we get the best for last and what everyone's waiting for so I bet that was a strategy on your part all right everybody we'll see you back here for part three thanks for watching thanks for listening and uh we'll see you back in the lap here shortly All right, founders, welcome back to part three of uh, Perfecting the Pitch. We're back in the lab here with our Nail the Number Pro, Ross Finley, uh, angel investor himself, and uh, he strategically saved the very best for last. Now we're getting into the pitch deck and we're gonna talk about the slides. So now that you've got your preparation done, now we're gonna talk about what you actually need, what your slides need to look like as you're making this pitch to uh, to an investor. and Correct me if I'm wrong Ross but really this pitch deck that we're about to review this is what you would give to any investor whether it's a a debt lender or an equity investor correct it's it's the same pitch deck
1: used for both For yes. the most part yeah okay perfect okay so, so every every pitch deck every pitch deck should be targeted towards the investor or lender that's sitting in front of you okay all right. So you can make changes. You can it's not a one size fits all. All right. You have to understand your investor or lender first. So what are, what are they looking for? What you know, what do they want out of this? Okay. You know, how are they gonna? Yeah.
0: So this is not going to be one pitch deck for everybody, it might just be small modifications to each pitch deck based on your audience. Yeah. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, slide number one. What's the first slide we need to have in our in our deck?
1: Well, first thing would be the title, what the name of the company is. Okay. See, a pitch deck is really um, sort of a structured conversation, and 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 it, you have to adapt it to the each each person you're talking to. And so before you before you pitch, you need to understand who you're pitching to. What do they like? What do they dislike? What have they done in the past? Um, um, we've had, There's lots of people that will take up your time with absolutely no chance of investing. They have no thoughts of it. They're just being nice. Mm. They're giving you some time. Um, and they're the worst kind. So that's why you want to find out what you can about the people before and uh, because that way you can make it personal to them. Long time ago we were raising money for a company that had developed a single dose contraceptive vaccine for seals. So all your pet seals would be able to have contraception but it also worked on dogs, so and that was the big money maker. So, well, you know, when you're looking at your, for an investor, you start off by looking for a rich dog owner. <laughs> yeah. You know, because, well, why not? They would get it right away. <laughs> you know, the distance isn't quite as far to to make a connection there.
0: Okay, I love that. So doing your due diligence on the people that you are, uh, that you're sitting down with. And that's a really good point is, you know, with equity lenders as well is just understanding where they've loaned before, right, where they've invested um, and what that's looked like and what that relationship has looked like. So we've, we've got that in this title slide. Uh, this is the name of the company. Anything else that we're supposed to have on that? Are we actually ad- like personalizing it or addressing it to the audience that we have in front of us? Any other key points?
1: Yeah, you could do that. You could uh, put your tagline in, sort of like what your value proposition is in okay. a few words. Okay. Okay. Um, you could, you know, what spe- presented to such and such on such and such a date. Okay. It's about creating a structured conversation. And you then at that particular, before you even move to your next slide, that's where you will have to get their attention and hold it. So, uh, one of the best uh, opening lines I've ever heard in a pitch went something like this. In Canada, every year 7000 people die because the pharmacist can't read the doctor's handwriting mm. you have my attention <laughs> so we have and then they and then the line is we have found the solution to that just one line but it hit hard everybody can relate to it and it was you know, it was powerful. So, Ross, to so that's clarify, the first, then that's the first thing is,
0: is, so is that this is that the second slide is that the problem slide? So we've got the title slide done, and now are we in a problem slide, or is this a conversation that we're having without a slide attached to it?
1: What you've just done is get my attention. Okay. You have now. You move to the second slide, which is that problem slide. Okay. It says you know it expands on that seven thousand number.
0: Gotcha.
1: And okay. you talk about it, the problem is the issues and communication between the drugstore or the doctor and the drugstore or the doctor and the patient in the drugstore, and how this will be solved, and you know some of the other problems besides death that happen when. Uh, people don't get the right medication or the right um, dosage or whatever. Okay. So, so I think that's a what's, so that's a problem.
0: What's really important yeah. with that. Um, what I'm hearing in that I'll, I'll share a little story with you. I actually applied to an incubator program, not too long ago. I won't name which one it was. And, you know, having over, Having over 20 years, 30 years of entrepreneurial experience and 20 years with numbers, I, I, to be honest with you, I got, I was cocky. I thought this is a no brainer. I'm in, there's no problem here. Right? Like uh, I thought I had under, everything understood and I got the email back saying your application has been denied. <laughs> I, did, oh, what? I did this unbelievable, kind of like, this is unbelievable. How, how could this possibly be? I thought I had everything locked in. And it said, you want to revisit your problem statement. And so I went to one of my colleagues, it's all about user-based design and problem statements. And she's like, well, of course you didn't get in. You have talked about all of the issues that that are attached to the problem. So when it comes to finances, all of the issues, but you haven't articulated the impact that those issues are having on people. So to your point, what I love about what you've, what I've heard from you is that as you're talking about the title slide, go into the impact, right? This means this for people. And this is the, like the, the 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 devastation or the pain that's being caused. And then now I'm hearing the slide is then this is all the issues. This is what has caused that impact. And then, is that right? Did I get that
1: right? These are the problems that, and, and- uh, issues that lead up to that number of 7,000 people being dead um, because of that. So, so that really clearly shows that one, you understand the problem. Number two, you understand the sector, and that you've you've thought through the scope of it, the size of it, and and you're you're ready to take that on. You know,
0: beautiful. Okay. All right. So thanks for clarifying that piece. And so how does, um, just so I get a, an extra layer of clarity, then the value proposition that you recommended, <coughs> is this something different than the problem statement? Is it something different than the solution?
1: Well, they're, they're, they're all related. Uh, okay. the, it It's that, it's what you're saying. The value that you are bringing to the table, um, you know, stated in a, a single sentence.
0: Okay.
1: It's kind of like uh, what they call, uh, you know, a twitch, which is a Twitter pitch, or uh, twelve seconds to, holy shit, you know. Okay. That's that's what you get all right that value prop
0: so that so if i'm going through the slide deck we've got the title slide yep. we've got then the problem slide and then what do we move into is it the value proposition and then articulation of the solution or what was the ne- what's the next slide then that we want to look at
1: the next slide is the solution slide
0: solution okay
1: and yeah what's the problem what's your solution um, and uh, how how you enter the market? Well, that goes into the marketing section. But um, when you when you're talking about the problem, make sure you talk about the size of the problem. Uh, and is it just in? Is this problem just in Regina, or is it a problem that's everywhere that could scale? Okay, your business could scale. Um, you know, what is, you know, this gets into, again, markets like, but uh, you, uh, so you're doing problem, solution, and then you want to talk about how big this problem is and how you intend to roll out your solution, which would be getting into that market area. You don't have to one of the big problems that, that founders tend to make is they're, they're in love with their technology or their solution or whatever. And and so they spend a lot of time, you know, work, digging in on their uh, their solution, their technology. And that's when you put people to sleep because a lot of people... You know, it does it's it just goes over their head. They're not I know people have made a ton of money angel investing in technology fields that have never run a technology company. But they understand the problem and they understand how this can fix the solution, create the solution, they should say. Mm-hmm. And and these people they're investing in the people to make it happen. Okay. So, and then once you get to the market, uh, you know, you have to fully explain how you're getting to the market, how big it is. And the last thing I want to hear is that is this is a $10 billion market. Buddy, how are you ever going to get into a $10 billion market? You know, what is your initial market? And how are you going to get traction there? And then you can move forward. And and then you you get into and this whole market thing is really important. It, you cover competitors, and if you say, "Well, my competitor is Microsoft," you know, "Oh shit!" You know, <laughs> good luck. Okay. You know, or or the other kiss of death is if you say. I don't have any competitors. You always have competitors. Right. The, the status quo is a competitor. If, if your competitor is the status quo, then you have to figure out a way to how, to how to move people off their comfortable seats to try out your whatever. Yeah. So the status quo can be very bad.
0: OK. Yeah, it, and, and I think conversely status quo for sure, and then also being first to market is also a little bit of a, a challenge too, right? P- pioneering new territory with, with no competitors, as you mentioned, because you're brand new on the scene, then you typically have a huge capital investment to educate. You know, what comes to mind is all of those. I think you've referenced this before, all of the, um, the, the, the search applications that came before Google Right, those web browsers that, you know, were first on the scene and, uh, and excited to be there, but, but didn't last because they had to make the investment in educating the market. And then Google comes along, the market already knows what, what, you know, these browsers are all about, and they got to spend their money on functionality instead of education.
1: Right, exactly. Okay. And uh, go ahead.
0: No, nope, you go. It's all good.
1: There has to be a market want versus a, everybody comes to me and says the market really needs this yeah but does the market want it yeah yeah and i I've, I've used this example before is like you talk about you know fitness and fitness facilities are, are growth are growing cuz people want to get fit uh, they want to lose weight and but they're only growing at about 5% a year. Uh, why? Because people don't want to put in the effort. They don't want to have to drive to the fitness facility and work out. Um, what they want is uh, to take a pill Sunday night and get up Monday morning skinny. Yeah. You know, that's what the market wants. Want easy. So that's the difference between a need and a want.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And well, I. Have a
1: much easier chance.
0: I can personally relate to that because I, I think that um, this is part of the challenge that we have with <laughs> financial empowerment, right? We, we need it. I mean, 85%, of 87% of businesses fail because they're not managing their numbers and they're abdicating it to the accountants and the bookkeepers right. that just aren't in it. So they're not making sound financial decisions, but nobody wants to do the numbers right it's 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 painful for a lot of business owners to actually get out their excel sheets and start calculating and seeing where they're at and doing the ratios and there's a real barrier there which is you know why we're uh, why we're doing these episodes is to at least engage founders and let them recognize what what it is that they don't know and that really um there is no magic pill that you take and you lose 25 pounds of. Hey, you've got to do the work. This is what separates um, the, the, the people who are successful from those that aren't. They, they do what they don't want to do to get to where they want to get to, right? So I'm sure you must see this all the yeah. time with founders that come to you.
1: Yeah, the, one of the things that, um, I, I just remembered the point I was going to make and you brought it up with, uh, your know, first to market. First to market is fine. But unless you have a strategy for staying at the top of the market, um, it doesn't count for much. So that gets all into the whole IP. Do you have any intellectual property? Do you have anything that's uh, that's gonna create traction or or, um, stickiness with your customers? Um, And if you don't have an intellectual property uh, and the other thing is a lot of people won't invest money into a service business.
0: Why, they, why is that?
1: Because you're only as good as your next contract or you're, you're as good as your last contract. Okay. And uh, so, and there's, you, you could fall out of favor tomorrow or, you, you know, you could have a ski accident and not be able to, you know, go around okay. telling people, nail the numbers. Yeah, and so they're very more, they're much more difficult to invest in. Good point. And, and the other thing is, i uh, just going back to one of the previous uh, episodes of this. We we um, you uh, you want to ask for money when you don't need it, okay? You will not get a, a even a line of credit. Is lending. It's its money for you. It's free. You know, it's not free, but it's money that's there if you need it. Yes. <laughs> but you can't get a line of credit when you need it. You get a line of credit when you don't need it. So that makes sense. It's yeah. The same, exactly. same with this. If you're looking to uh, get money, either raise money or get loans from investors or convertible debt or whatever, um it's going to take you 3 months usually 3 to 6 months so as you're going into the process you you should be 6 months out from when you're going to need the money that's when you start doing it so that's again getting to nailing your numbers and knowing when you're going to run out of money cuz the the founder of a company, their sole job is to never run out of money.
0: <laughs> love it, love it. Okay, that's a that's a great point Good there. Up. So, so let me just <coughs> go back to the pitch deck. I just want to make sure we've we've talked about a lot of different things. Up. I just want to make sure that we've got um, um, a framework in which founders can start building these slides. So,
1: up.
0: correct me if I'm wrong. This is what I've heard. Let's go back to that. The first slide, we've got the title slide. Second slide is now the problem slide. Third slide is the solution, how you're addressing the problem. Fourth slide is the uh, the opportunity that you wanna say something there. Do you want, am I getting okay. this right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but okay. I just add in there that the solution should be followed by you know, what's your, um, if you have intellectual property, okay. that's where you would put that in too, that you have locked this solution down for yourself.
0: I like it. Okay, so solution uh, in addition to the intellectual capital and I love this term that you use the stickiness, what's your sticky factor, right? So that people are, are, are locked in with you there. Then the fourth slide becomes the opportunity and the scale of the opportunity, yeah. but not going too big. It's this initial market, how are you getting into, the, how are you getting that foothold in that first market opportunity? And then how can right. you scale from there? Then I heard your go to market strategy is number five. So now how do you get yeah, in there? Right. How do you start rolling this out? Right. Okay. Anything you want to add there? And,
1: well, you then the next slide would be, here's who your competitors are. And this is what you're differentiating. How you're differentiating yourself from the competitors? Perfect. Okay. And then. And then uh, your next slide. Okay. Then your next slide would be start talking about um, the business model, how you're going to make money, and you know, are are you do you have a. A model that has one-time fees, or do you have monthly recurring revenue? Do you have? (coughs) Are you going to be running sales every six months? Whatever. Okay. You know, but how are you going to make money? It's important. Yes. All right. So we've got the the money piece pricing pricing structure and all that. Okay. Why did how did you come up with? The cost or the price of your product or or whatever, um, and how you're going to make money with that. So then you're starting into your, um, you know, what do your what are your forecasts? How what is your um, projection for the next two three years? Okay. And we all know that anything on the on the revenue side is a guess after year one. Then you're probably wrong, right? But, but, but lenders want to see that
0: you're planning, right? They want to know that you're you're doing the numbers to the best of your ability, and that you have the you're looking for potential scenarios that might come up and how you're going to address those financially. They just want to know that you're you've worked with the numbers and you're comfortable with working with the numbers, correct?
1: Yeah, we want to know uh, what assumptions you made to come up with these numbers. Okay.
0: Can you explain an assumption for founders watching? What does that mean to, to, to them for you?
1: Well, what that means is, um, and, and, okay, so <coughs> we're assuming a 10% growth per month. Okay? okay. So how did you come up with that assumption? What makes you think you're going to get 10% of growth? Let's have you talked to potential customers what, what feedback have you got from them um, have you do have you gotten prototypes out there and gotten feedback on have you had an initial run do you have a have you done a um, one of those uh, campaigns uh, where you go online and pre-sell the product and what's the results from that um, so these these are all the things that help support your assumptions, and Fantastic. if you and the assumptions have to add up to your business model. So if you have said you're going to hire seven salespeople, and this is how much you're going to pay them and everything, and then here's your assumptions of what these seven business salespeople can do. Um, then it's again it's just math. How many cold calls can a, a salesperson make in a day? How many of them do they actually get through? And how many they call back? And, and you, you could be way, way out if you just drill down into those numbers, which if you get past this pitch, they will do. The investors will do. The lenders will do. And they will start looking at the numbers and basically trying to see if the callers and the cups match
0: on this outfit, you know? Oh, you're giving me so many (laughs) sounds here, Ross. Um, Okay, so the collars and cuffs. I I think that's, it's really important when it comes to numbers, because as we've talked about earlier in this episode, um, you know, don't just plug in numbers because you think that's what the investor wants to see. Understand as you're speaking to, understanding the assumptions behind um, this growth that you anticipate seeing, Right. How you're going to achieve that growth. And I know in past boot camps where, you know, we, you know, pre COVID, where we got to connect one on one, you made a really important point to founders about don't stress this, you know, 2% market share, because that you can't really back the assumption behind it. Right. Just saying we're going to get that 2% and then how that equates to your numbers. There's no it's not um, it's not qualitative. There's there's no way that you can defend where that number is coming from. So that that always landed with me or that landed with me when you when you would bring that up in past presentations. So I thought I would just articulate this here. Okay, so after we've got competition, we move into the money slides, which is obviously your revenue model, as you talked about, what are you selling at what price? How much are you going to be generating? Then we get into the cash flow projection. That cash flow projection is obviously then also going to be able to articulate you know, the working capital requirements to make sure, to your point, the number one job of the CEO or founders to make sure you never run out of money. So now you can articulate use of funds, right? We need X amount of money for this much for working capital, this much to buy XYZ, and this much for whatever that looks like, but being able to clarify the use of funds, um, where then do we actually? Well, I... Yeah, go ahead, Ross.
1: I was going to say after the financials, I would go into who the team is. Team, okay. You know, who have you got with you, and then uh, who are your advisors? What do they add to the to the equation? And uh, and then I would go into how much money you're looking for, and what do you want to do with it?
0: Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So, money, revenue projections. Then we move into team, uh, your advisors and your employees slash consultants, whatever those individuals might look like. And then going into right. how much money is needed and how it's going to be used. Just coming back to the team piece for a minute, because I remember in one of the presentations, this was another message that you you shared with us that really uh, landed with me was that especially in the case of um, equity investment, most businesses do not fail because they don't have access to capital because they've got angels. They've got the angels there. It's usually because they don't have the right team in place to execute on the plan. They're missing the expertise to actually bring that plan to fruition. Is that... um,
1: Is there anything that you want to expand on there? Yeah, I had a slide about um, the number one thing that uh, ensures a company's success is is getting into the market, timing in the market. Are they too soon? Are they too late? Or are they just Mm -hmm. right? So it's the Goldilocks thing. Okay. So forty-two percent of businesses will fail because, or forty-two percent will succeed because of that. They that they're at the right place at the right time with the right product. Beautiful. And then everything flows out of that. And the last thing is, do they have enough money? Okay. <laughs> and, I I chuckle on that
0: just because I think that many founders think that money is the number one issue. Right. And I think that that's because they're putting out fires, right? If they're putting out fires, that's where the the pain point of money comes in because they're thinking money is what's going to keep me alive. But I love how you just flip that right side up. And it's actually, no, it's about being at the right place at the right time with the right product. That's the number one thing that you need to look at. And then if you have all of those money comes. Cause I imagine this is where the investors and the lenders get really excited about what it is that you're doing.
1: We had a, we had a company that we invested in. Um, it was way ahead of the marketplace. Mm. And so we had to reinvest and reinvest because it was always we were waiting for the market to catch up and it never did. And they, they had that VC money and every kind of money but they still went under after raising something like 60 or 70 million bucks. Yeah. They still went under.
0: Yeah. You know, this, um, it reminds me of uh, back in the day, I worked for Bell Canada and uh, Jean Monty was the CEO at the time. And uh, it was just, it was a phenomenal experience to work for that company. And uh, we were starting up Western Canada and in the middle of that growth, Uh, Jean Monty made a decision. So I'm sharing this story because I know a lot of founders kind of get stuck in this right time, right place. But this happens across the board with large enterprise as well. And so Jean Monty at that time, he was an innovator and saw this opportunity that he called convergence, where media outlets actually started to converge together between radio and television and print. And um, he was it wasn't long. He was, he was probably, I forget the exact number, but I would say he was three to four years ahead of his time. And so that yeah. investment millions, dare I say billion, it was it, like it shifted the whole dynamic of the company because he bought in to all of these media outlets saying, this is the way of the future convergence. We're going to see this with media outlets. And so, because it didn't pay off though, in the timeframe in which he anticipated it too. And I think it was like a two year horizon where he said, we're gonna start seeing the world doing this. He actually uh, was such grace and dignity. He actually resigned. He's like, I, I made the wrong decision for the company. I was ahead. I still believe it's going to happen but it didn't happen when it, I said, when I anticipated it was going to happen. So I'm gonna step down and we're gonna get new leadership in. And then convergence happened like a year later, two years later, and that's what you see now, right? So I just share that story because it, it's across the board. It's, you know, being in the right place at the right time with the right product. I love it. So th- thank exactly. you, Ross. Any, and so how do we wrap up this pitch deck now? Like, what is the final slide that we should, you know, that leaves people with a really know. powerful message?
1: Well, the last slide is, you know, uh, here's so much money, I mean, this is what I can do. And um, this is, and then this is how I intend to uh, pay you back or, you know, give you a return on your investment. So what your exit strategy is, because one of the things that every lender is thinking about is when they're going to get their money back. And right. at what at what rate, I mean, and same with an investor. With an investor, uh, you know, until you pay them back, you're just a donor. You you got nothing, you know, you have something to say, but they don't have to listen, right? Yeah. So, so, true. so that's so that's where you end up as, as and then summarize the key points that you've made. You know, there should be a summary at the end that says. And this is why you should lend me money or this is why you should invest in me. Boom, 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 boom. Beautiful. And then questions. And then the other thing that you should remember is that your pitch presentation is not a script. It drives me nuts when people put the slide up and then read it to me. I, I learned English many years ago and I can read. I do not need you to read it to me. So it's not a script. It needs to be a, a, a note that you can talk to, you can watch. But at the same time, it has to be something that you can send to somebody and <coughs> excuse me. And they can read it and basically figure it out. So if you've got a picture uh, you know pitch with a lot of pictures in it, it doesn't necessarily going to mean anything to anybody. So, your pitch should should every page every day uh, should be about two minutes a slide. Um, you need to find out how much time you have to present your pitch, and then tailor your slides to that. So, if you if you're doing two minutes a slide and you've got a fifteen minute pitch, uh, well. You're down to like six slides that you can do with, aside from the introduction and conclusion. So you really have to hone it for every, every situation, timing, um, audience, and uh, know when to shut up.
0: <laughs> well, maybe on that note, that's a good place for us to end this final. Hey. <laughs> final portion of our um, of our episode. Thank you so much. So just to recap, we've got a title slide problem slide, then we get into the solution and the secret sauce, uh, the sticky factor. Uh, We then get into the opportunity, the go to market plan, competition, money, team, use of funds. Last slide is just to reconfirm this is why you should be investing. One, two, three, your bullet points, summarizing that. Make sure the conversation is fluid, make sure it's conversational, knowing how much time you have and two minutes per slide. So pull out the ones that aren't gonna really land that message in that first intro. And it, it reminds me a little bit of marketing, 101 with products or services. You're not trying to get the deal on the first conversation. You're creating awareness only then we lead into the next phase, which is a second conversation where you can layer more information. So you're not looking to get to, oh, I'm giving you the money at the end of that first pitch, right? It's There's a process right, right. to it. Ross, thank you so much. I so appreciate your time and your expertise as always. Um, thank you for making the time today. Take care of that cough. I know it's okay. chronic, but I, I haven't helped by putting you on the spot for uh, for over an hour sharing your, uh, your intelligence. Um, For anybody listening or watching, down in the show notes below, we have a sample pitch deck uh, that that you can use if you are looking to pitch to investors along with several other valuable tools such as cash flow forecast and startup capital. All of that is there for you. Uh, Ross, thank you again for your time and a huge shout out to our episode champion, Community Futures of Manitoba with over 16 offices across the province of Manitoba to help you build your business and nail your numbers. And Community Futures actually has an office, uh, a network of over, I think it's like 260 offices across the country to help founders build their business and nail their numbers too. So thank you for the incredible work that, uh, that everyone is doing to keep founders out there strong and financially fierce. Thank you for watching and we'll see you in the next episode of the Gap Lab. Bye for now.